Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It was a great step forward for us, and I'd like to thank Diesel Donnie, our, uh, <laughs> our, new, uh, our new approach coach. He's, he's been doing a great job today. We worked on ripping heaters in the cage, and we applied that in the, applied that in the game today. The approach coach, that's pretty cool. Um, also, we, uh, we just made a nice, nice new hire. Uh, Donnie, he's he's nice. He's a he's a great uh, hitting slash approach coach. Um, yeah, Donnie's Donnie's been great helping the team. Uh, he, I think Louis forgot to to mention Donnie. Um, Donnie really helped us today too. Who is Donnie? Uh, he's uh, it's a new hire. Uh, he's our like mental slash like approach coach. Uh, really, re- I feel like we had a, a really cool collective like team approach today, and Donnie Donnie helped us out for sure. Donnie, Donnie's, yeah, Donnie's a new guy. He, uh, he, he made an appearance today at our hitters meeting and, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's all about the approach, you know, he's, he's a hitting approach guy. He's a, um, you know, he's a guy that, that just gets the boys fired up and ready to go. Um, so yeah, there's a new guy. And also like, um, Donnie really helped, um, drive drive those points home in the meeting uh i think having donnie um kind of help help us through that and kind of break break the ice it was, it was nice so thank thank you donnie i don't know maybe maybe i got to give credit to donnie he, he got my approach right what is donnie's last name uh i don't know it's he just introduced himself as donnie i i, I don't know um I gotta, I gotta ask that. I gotta ask uh, Chili. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Oh, Stevenson. I, I think that's it. Got it. Thank you, Donnie Stevenson. I think that's his name. <laughs> 
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, May the 3rd, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. So, Coming to you just, you know, a few hours after the Mets had a wild Sunday night baseball win. And look, we all, I personally don't like when the Mets play on Sunday night. I like the weekends. First, for the show purposes, it throws so many monkey wrenches into scheduling a show and, and seeing how the week wraps up and how stale your content goes. And good thing I didn't have it before the game because so much happened during this uh, game. What probably. Not probably the biggest win the Mets have had so far in 2021. In the last two nights in Philadelphia, are two of the more character-building situations that you're going to see this early in the season from a baseball team. But uh, Sunday night baseball could be a real grind. But coming to you just a few hours later, and what's interesting is that after the ball hit the wall, it turns out and did not go out. I was on Twitter. And the first thing I thought of, and tells you how contemporary fans could be, the first thing I thought of when the Mets won the game was in 1990, the John Franco line drive to Mario Diaz and Bob Murphy going, they win the damn thing. Now that one, the Mets were much further ahead. It was much more unlikely that they were going to lose. And, and and that was like one of those never-ending innings. This would a 4-1 lead. A 4-1 lead, especially in Citizens Bank Park, where, as you saw with Hoskins, a ball gets up in the air, and especially to right field, that thing carries, and if it goes out, it doesn't take a lot to go out. So it's not quite the same thing, but I don't care what the win probabilities say over a fan graphs. Uh, once Diaz walked the first batter without throwing a strike, you had a feeling things were going to get tight, were going to get dicey. But you had a whole other generation of fans talking about 1973 and the Pirates game down the stretch, which we mentioned last week when we had Dave Jordan of the of the book Cobra on when we were talking about pirate Dave Parker connections to the Mets. So it's kind of interesting how things work out. Now, all I'll say is this, and we talked about the Mets bats on Friday. So this is a regular show, but I'm not going to get into that again. You could go back to Friday's show and hear my thoughts. But if it took whether Donnie and who is Donnie, let's first say this, who is Donnie? And maybe we should take a poll and really find out, is there really a Donnie Stevenson? who's a mental strength coach, some kind of mental approach coach? Is it Do- is Donnie Don Julio? Is it a tequila? Is it the name of a, of a, of a puppet? Or some kind of Joe Boo that the Mets have in the dugout? And, I mean, whatever it is, a Snuffleupagus, an imaginary friend. Donnie worked because the last two nights, and let's put it this way, the Mets offense hasn't really even been where you want it to be. You still saw instances with runners on third and less than two outs, bad at-bats. VR yesterday, perfect example. Lindor still struggling in the clutch. The bats went dead throughout Saturday night's game before the Conforto home run. Pretty much after the four-run first inning, they went to sleep. So you're still not seeing the offense completely right. They got really lucky early on because McCann could have easily grounded into a double play. But what you did see is you've seen Conforto come out of it, Conforto with the big hit, and he hasn't really been in the same category as the rest of the offense. 
But the at-bat that Pete Alonso took late yesterday to drive in three runs and essentially ice the game. You know, Diaz is normally Diaz. That's that 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 ices it. That's the three-pointer that you hit when the clock's running down that you just the other team knows it's time to go home. Taking the ball the other way with authority, clearing the bases, not trying to do too much, taking what is given to him was the component that was missing from Pete Alonso's game throughout the pandemic season last year. It's back, and he is vintage Pete Alonso, and that, to me, was a great sign. And another great sign with the offense, and putting all the kidding aside with the Donnie talk, because if it takes this puppet or this tequila to get this offense going for the rest of 2021, so be it. I don't care what it takes. Because clearly, if they're joking around in, in that vein with, with that particular situation, you could see that they were they would have a, a lot of weight on their shoulder. That it was exactly what I had said on Friday during our short, that uh, it, it's more between the ears than anything else. Uh, but if that's what it takes to get the offense going, so be it. But what you saw is a team. They didn't have Luis Guillerme. He's on the injury list, so they bring in per, uh, a Peraza. Uh, a guy that, again, is a veteran that all you're asking for is to play a role for a short span of time, get a big hit. Uh, you saw VR contribute on the base pads and with his bat. Uh, Kevin Pillar is finally getting on track. And, and like I said, in the past, you would have veterans like a Keon Broxton or guys like that that the Mets would bring in, Aaron Altair. They had nothing left. And you're hoping that with these guys that the Mets went out and spent some money on, that although not all the results have been there early on, the key is, can they play a role? Can they play a role where they're not going to play every day, where sometimes they're going to sit for two or three days? Can they come in, be productive? And now, uh, you know, with a situation where Guillermo's out, you're going to see probably more of VR. Potentially, I know Brandon Nimmo came in to play center field last night, but, uh, you know, what what happens with this hip and this thumb? You're going to have to see more of Pilar. You're going to have to see more of uh, Almora and guys like that. So the Mets depth was on display and I can't overstate, you know, you don't want to do a a show just about one game. It's really about a game and a few innings late on Saturday. But during this phase of the season of getting to know a team, there are moments where they rise up to the occasion and there are moments where they step back. And what you saw last night was that, and were they lucky? Sure. Another couple inches, the game is tied, and then you have a whole different character-building scenario where they have to go to extra innings, albeit with the runner on second, and try to win that game. I mean, this this loss would have, I think, went up there with the one that you saw a couple of years ago in September in Washington, D.C., when they blew the six-run lead to the Nats and lost. That was a crusher, and then you saw them come back the next day and win a big game, but that loss really was at a point where you kind of knew 2019 wasn't happening because no matter what you did, it seemed to go bad. But these two games, back-to-back nights, big hit late, closing the game out Saturday night, big hit late, closing the game out barely on Sunday, and contributions from guys that aren't the key component guys. Diaz couldn't get the job done, but Familia, who I've been very critical of, who for, again, I knew him coming back. It was somebody that you wanted to keep away from big left-handed pitchers, but he he had to strike he had to strike out Bryce Harper, a lefty. He had to strike him out twice. He was struck out on the pitch two pitches before that on the corner. No reason not to get that call. And he made now I know Bryce Harper probably was hurting a little bit. You saw that the at bat before whatever is wrong with him. He tried to bump, but if he's up there 
He's healthy. That's the way they always say. Uh, he, he looked vintage familiar. Looked vintage familiar. With the fastball popping, you know, the little sinker getting right underneath the bat. Slider, sinker, whatever you want to call it over there. And he looked every bit the vintage familiar. And it will be interesting because I have a feeling that Diaz is going to be unavailable for the first game of the St. Louis series. And if the back is indeed something more, maybe for a couple of days, uh, you may see familiar out there again. They may say, hey, you know, this is where the new manager, and I don't know the dynamic with the front office on. the front. This is where the front office yesterday doesn't call down to the dugout and say, you got to put familiar in. The front office doesn't do that. He has to use his gut and his own knowledge to make that decision. Now, going forward, will they have input to say if Diaz is out? Here's who we'd like to close. Logically, you'd move May up to the ninth inning, move everybody up. But there's a guy, if you want to keep people in their roles, there's a guy that's done it before. And furthermore, what that does is maybe it builds confidence because you're going to need potentially familiar. If he's on the roster... At some point, you're going to need him to get big outs. Maybe not always in the ninth inning with Bryce Harper up in the game uh, in the balance, but you're going to need him in the sixth inning or the seventh inning or a day where where May or Castro's not available to come in and get big outs on the road sometimes. And this is a way to see if you got anything left there. Hard to believe a guy who's throwing 98-99, who has the experience and the resume of Familia, can't get it done. Now, he doesn't always command his pitches well. He walks too many guys. He's sweaty. But he's been better. He was horrible in 2019. He was hurt on and off. Last year, he he was I was indifferent to him. He wasn't anything good that you want to put him in high leverage situations. Now in 2021, I still don't know if you want to consistently put him in those kind of leverage situations. You were thrown into it. Because if you did, you probably would hold Diaz back and give him the 4-1 lead. I mean, ultimately, to me, if, and that's the first thing I'll say. You know, you got the familiar thing. But with the criticism I've seen some people say about Diaz coming in, and we'll get to the bullpen because that's the big part of the weekend. Diaz with a four-run lead in Citizens Bank Park, there's no difference between the three-run and the four-run game. That's stat uh, padding, if you say that. A four-run, even a five-run game. Batter gets on a home run, it's a three-run game. It's a, it's a save, especially in that ballpark. Especially in that ballpark against that team where... You had the bottom of the lineup, but if a couple of guys get on, you have the top of the lineup coming. And although I don't think the Phillies are particularly good offensively, when you get to the Hoskins, Harper, Real Muto, Gregorius part of the lineup, those are professional big-time hitters. So you, you got to be careful. Um, so I'm not going to criticize that. But the, the key there is Familia, and this is a confidence builder. As you get to learn this team, it's a confidence builder. And it's not that a guy you would say needs that after all these years, but... He's really taken a step back. He's a guy that you don't want to put at any leverage. He's a guy that really, personally, you only wanted to see when you were down where the results, uh, the game was far enough away where if you got a good outing, great. If not, you know what? He's eating innings, and he showed you something more. Now, what to look for from this bullpen? Uh, I'm not quite sure I buy into the whole, maybe his back was tight, Diaz, and maybe there was a little something there. I still feel like, and nobody talked about it, I don't know if he came out because of an injury, because the trainer was out there, and that gave Familia more time to warm up. See, ESPN never went to the Mets bullpen throughout that entire sequence of Diaz walking, uh, you know, Joyce and whatnot. When did Familia warm up? Because psychologically, as a manager, you got to start to think about if this thing, you know, doesn't happen. You either give your closer 
the game and say, you're going to win it, you're going to lose it, I'm not bringing anybody else in, and and that's it. Or you at least start to try to warm someone up at some point. Of course, then the guy's always looking over his shoulder. We don't know because I didn't see it. It was never brought up by ESPN. Um, So there's that with the whole situation. But I think when you look at Diaz and you look at when to pull the plug, the one thing that Mets have to start to look at is, and we saw it last year, when he comes in and he starts not throwing strikes and he can't command his pitches and he can't find the strike zone, you got to start to think about plan B. Now, you don't want to start pulling the plug too quick because then you got a closer who's neurotic. He's always looking over his shoulder. But then the other way you have to look at it is when he hits the 20 to 25 pitch mark in an inning and things are not happening and he's laboring and maybe he only has one out. In this case, he was able to get the second out. You really have to start to think about who's next because once she hits that 20 to 25, it tells you he's off, there's something wrong. And there's more than likely going to be mechanical issues that allow him either not to get his pitches in the strike zone, or worse yet, you're going to have what you had in 2019. He's going to lay one over the plate, and then you have what you have with Reese Hoskins, who was just waiting for a fastball. Contact 100 miles doesn't matter, and it goes. So I think when they start managing this closing situation, it's not about necessarily the runs they're up. That's a very small part of it, or whether he walked the first batter. It's more, how does he look? Is he, is, he, is he commanding his pitches? Is he consistently throwing strikes? And as you get longer, I mean, this is a guy that might only be good for 20 pitches. That's it. Now, not all 20 pitches are created equal, but that's just something to look for. So that's where my thing on the bullpen, I have no problems how Luis Rojas managed it. I have no problems with him bringing in Diaz. Diaz has been lights out. Look, the night before, what a one-run game. He came in, bing, bang, boom, and he did what he had to do. So let's hope that the back is not a big issue. I personally think that was just the reason for them to get him out of there, give Familia more time to warm up. You're not going to know exactly what was going on because nobody communicates during ESPN. They were too focused, and I understand from an entertainment standpoint on the Hoskins home run and talking about that and replaying that. But in between, before that, I'd be curious to to know. And the fact that they didn't go to the bullpen to say Familia was warming up makes me think that maybe he warmed up after Hoskins hit the home run or as Hoskins was up at the plate. Now, before we take a break, and I have something fun we're going to try tonight, uh, something a little bit different in terms of a guest, uh, Lindor. And I'm going to go back to this because we talked about Donnie and the Mets having fun. Lindor right now is at an early season crossroads because, again, last night you saw him with runners on base in big spots, even with the Mets up four, which wasn't really a big spot not really have an at-bat, hit the ball with any kind of authority. It's starting to become noticeable. Alex Rodriguez, who knows a thing or two about struggling in New York, even brought it up, talking about how, based on what he's seeing, the kind of execution on the kind of pitches that he, and, and, and how he's driving the ball, that he might be hitting the, holding the bat a little bit too tight, that he's starting to press a little bit. Made a nice play in the field, hasn't really impacted him on uh, on the field, he doesn't look at all, at least from a camera standpoint, as someone who's not having fun and starting to get down on himself and starting to have that black cloud on his head. But after at bat, after at bat, after at bat of not producing, especially at runners on base, this is now becoming noticeable. And we've talked about it. And A-Rod is actually, forget Piazza and forget about 
Beltron and, and other and Bonilla and other big guys who came over and got big money during their time to be a highly paid focused player. Forget those guys. If somebody knows about coming to New York and the pressure and the stress of coming to New York and asking to produce, it's Alex Rodriguez, who struggled mightily. And it's funny that you look back now and you look at if I were Lindor, I'd actually talk to A-Rod. I don't know if he would you know, I don't know if that's something that the, the Mets would like, but I would talk to A-Rod because A-Rod came over already the highly highly paid player, already got his contract, came to the Yankees, moved over to third base, but everybody knew that he was the better shortstop than Jeter. Nobody wanted to admit it, but everybody knew. And the, and the only thing he had to do was be A-Rod and help the Yankees win a championship. And he comes over, and not only does he not have a banner season, I mean, think about it. For A-Rod, a season where he hit 286 with 36 home runs, 106 RBIs, was considered a down year. I mean, he'd win the MVP the year later, but it was considered a down year. But up until about 07, for about a three-year span, I mean, he was on and off a focus with his slumps, and he didn't hit in the postseason. I mean, he hit his first season against Minnesota, uh, excuse me, and it's, uh, he did not hit in the postseason uh, very well at all. He hit a little bit in the Minnesota series his first postseason but continuously time and time again the focus was A-Rod doesn't hit then he had that infamous one for 14 against the Tigers in 06 and that's when it really all came to a head where you saw him in interviews biting his lip and you knew the stress was on Lindor's not at that point yet because it's so early in this tenure but Lindor is a highly touted player coming into New York big contract and now the focus is going to be if Donnie has solved the Mets offense, whoever you are, Donnie, and you start to see Conforto normalize and Alonzo normalize and quietly uh, McNeil did his thing last night. And, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think McCann, whatever you get offensively with McCann, as long as he does the catch and throw thing, he'll be fine. Hopefully Dom Smith is starting to look a little bit better. You look up and down that lineup and everybody's starting to normalize. But Lindor is still lost in the forest. It will be very interesting to see the media coverage of Lindor, who's a likable guy, and nobody said it was a bad contract, so the media can't second-guess themselves. But they'll try, and they'll, and you already saw a little bit of it. You saw uh, Bob Nightingale over uh, at USA Today point out, well, scouts thought he'd struggle from hard pitching in the NL East. Trust me, that narrative is right behind everybody. It's right around the corner. And then the other thing is you're only seeing 20 to 23% capacity, so you're still going to see sparse crowds at least until Memorial Day. Uh, maybe the rest of the year. We still don't know what the crowd situation is going to be as we get into the summer. But regardless of whether it's 8,000 people, 10,000 people, or if it was a full house of 40,000 people, he's going to hear the boos. He could hear enough. City, they've already said City Field, the players, even in its uh, compromise attendance position, is loud. And the more they boo, the more that the expectations are there. And if the Mets don't win, they won last night. And it wouldn't have been his fault if they lost, but he could have iced that game with maybe 9, 10, 11 runs with some execution when he's in there. Then it doesn't even Matt Diaz is not even in the game. So that's something to look for. The Lindor story is getting bigger. It's not just a couple of weeks. Now it's a trend. And now it's a focus, and you have A-Rod talking about on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. And Nightingale tweeted out that ominous tweet about Lindor struggling against hard throwers in the NL East compared to the Central. And Mets fans are now the next key to all this, and we'll see what they're going to react to. Now, he hits a game-winning home run tomorrow 
in St. Louis, has a big series in St. Louis, maybe this is nothing. But even if he has a good two, three, four, five-day stretch, he has to realize how he produces consistently in big spots. It's not about the numbers in big spots. It'll be the eye test because that's what fans of the media do. Will determine his treatment and how will he handle it. He's got, and he's gotten paid. I get it. He's gotten paid, so he's got his his money for the next ten years for the rest of his life. He never has to get another hit ever again. He's going to get paid. But you and I know that's not what this guy's all about. He didn't get to where he is now by not caring. Now we'll see how that smile, that loosey goosey, the real Lindor will stand up during this time, and this city will make or break him. It'll make or break his tenure. Carlos Beltran went through it. We talked about A-Rod. A-Rod had won an MVP, and he was still criticized in 06 for going for 114 against Detroit. Now, that was an extreme, much, much different situation. But that's the guy I talked to. That's the guy. Forget going to guys like Piazza and Beltran. And, I mean, they could definitely help you. But A-Rod would be the poster child for a difficult transition to New York. Because if it could happen to a guy that was that good, who's arguably not without arguably, probably the best player in the sport at that point that got treated like a, a, a rag doll by the media and the fans uh, for a team that had, had won already. It wasn't like they had gone this yoke around their neck where they were the, the second team in town and they hadn't won since the 80s. Mets are in a different position. If he could figure it out and f- have a pretty good career, albeit a controversial one, and had periods where it was a good career and win a championship in New York, can't take that away from him, then, uh, you know, he could definitely advise Lindor a little bit. I definitely advise him to talk to A-Rod if he has not already. All right, so we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to—I can't take calls because it's a, it's a podcast-type show. But I invited a friend, Richard Hosig, Medellin Mets fan, who's interacted a ton on Twitter, and we're going to try to do this from time to time throughout the season, to come on and chat Mets baseball. So instead of calls, get the fans' perspective. Bring him on. He's joining me from Columbia— and I had a chance to talk to him right after the game. So you're going to hear our reaction right after the game, literally 15 minutes after the game. So it'll be our Talking Mets podcast fan segment. And you get to hear his thoughts on the game, the Mets, and some of the things that he's looking for from this team from the fans' point of view. So we get the writers. We get the former players. We like to bridge the gap. The last uh, bridging of the gap, what do you, the fans, think? We listen to you when you send in emails and tweets. But let's hear your voice. Richard Hosig, Medellin Mets fan. Big fan of the show, going to join me, and he's going to react to the Mets' 8-7 win over the Phillies and the Reese Hoskins situation, the Diaz situation, the Lindor situation, all that more right after this. If Franco can save this one, he has earned his money for the whole year. Here's the pitch on the way. Lane drive, the game is over. The Mets win it. A lane drive to Mario Diaz. And the Mets win the ball game. They win the damn thing by a score of 59. <laughs> Push a ball that way, and you get yourself a cheap ribby. That'll do it. We're back, and as I promised, we tried something a little bit different. You know, we had Mark Gold on about a month ago, two months ago, trying to get the voice of those who are fans of Mets baseball. Tonight, coming to you right you know, a few minutes after a wild Mets win, a wild series win, is a big fan of the show. He's down in Columbia. Now, I think I'm going to say this correctly. It's 
Medellin, right? Medellin, Medellin Mets fan. Medellin, that's good. Medellin, Richard Hossig. Yeah. And the reason I know Medellin is because I'm an entourage fan. So that's the only right, reason I know how to present, pronounce yep. Medellin. And Rich, you know, you're a big time listener to the show. You're on Twitter at uh, Hossig Rich, Medellin Met fan. And uh, welcome in. And what a great night to have uh, this segment, a fan segment, getting uh, a fan reaction on a night where the fans' emotions, just like that win probability tracker that you see yeah. on fan graphs, goes yeah. up and down, up and down. No, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. It's, uh, I, you know, you, as you said, I listen to you all the time, and we we go, we've been we've been talking so much and, and listening and hearing, yeah, you know, so much stuff that I that that uh, so much panic, right, in, in everybody. So hopefully tonight we we'll get a nice win that we do that you should panic over, right? But uh, but you still get to win, and um, and I and I think we're we're looking for good things. Remember in 1969, guys, uh, the ball that was hit off the fence in left field, Cleon Jones, right? The relay to Bud Harrelson to the plate, that was what set the Mets in motion in August of that year. Yep. So, and then it yep, also shades play. of, uh, and recently I, when I was talking to Dave Jordan about the Dave Parker book in 1973, there was a similar ball that went off the wall, uh, Mets-Pirates game in uh, 1973 in September. Uh, so this goes into a litany. Uh, that I think that was the three. I thought it was 69. There might be so, one in 69, but I thought 73 yeah. was the pirate one. No, you're right. Uh, it was the pirates in 73. I was yeah, and then that game went into extra innings. Ron Hodges wins guys. it on a little bit, right. and I little bit before already. my time. Yep. But look, another yep. magical moment. So, Richard, how, how, how do you become a Mets fan? So before we get into this weekend and some of your thoughts, because yeah. you've been very bullish on this team. You're not your typical bullish. negative, I am. you know, yep. Eeyore, am. the cloud is over you, Mets fan. What uh-huh. – um, you know, what, how did you become a Mets fan? Give the listeners an idea. About so, that. so I'm a Mets fan, really 72 is when I, when I start, um, my family's a baseball family. My, you know, my, my grandfather, my dad, my mom's family, they were, um, uh, my mom's family from Brooklyn, I think over by you guys, right. And, uh, um, in Bay Ridge there. Um, but my mom was a, a Giants fan. And so who came to the Mets on May 14th, 1972, Willie Mays. And I had already known who he was, like through cartoons and stuff. You know, TV was different in those days. And Willie Mays was my guy. And when Willie Mays was traded to the Mets and the Yankees weren't good, it was just, it was, it was like Joe Willie, right? With, with the Jets. You, that's where you, that's where you went. It was a, the whole, the whole landscape, like, you know, from 84, that's when the Mets really became a team. I think they broke the Yankee, you know, the, the Yankee hold on New York, I think. So um, that's how it all started for me. And here we are. Well, uh, you know what? Do you have any theories? As I said in the open, who is Donnie Stevenson? Does Donnie Stevenson exist? This, go- this is going to be something interesting because I, now I the Mets are having fun with this. I think now I've heard it's Don Julio Tequila. Mm-hmm. I've heard that I threw out there. Maybe it's their Joe Boo, which mm-hmm. that's a little bit paganism. We got to watch out for mm-hmm. that. You that's could okay. summon right. some bad magic. Maybe <laughs> they summon some good magic. magic. So have to summon magic them. tonight. Right? Right? So who do you think Donnie is? So I, we, I was talking with, the, I chatting with a few of my, my people uh, tonight. I, and I, here's what I think. I think this is, this is Alfonso, uh, Alonzo, fronting for Lindor, who is playing with us. Lindor was not happy. He, I thought he handled it well, but he's very surprised he's being booed right now. He's a little disappointed about that. He mentioned it last week. And I think that they're playing a little game back with us, right? You ever, you've been in an awful situation. Uh, the guy's like, they look at you and they, they give you that little, the wink and a nod. You're like, hey, what's going on? And there's nothing going on. They're just having some fun with you. And, and I think that's what this is about. And I love, I love seeing that. I love that yeah, they're and taking they, and it positive, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because they, they have the media so thrown off because they don't know oh. what to say. Yeah, they don't know how to look them up. It's driving them crazy. Like, you're driving me crazy in the media. You know, every question, you went over four, that you have to castigate yourself in front of the media, right, until they're happy with the penance that you give. They're not asking these guys questions. They're not working along with these. I'm not asking you to be a rooter for the team, but you don't have to ask these leading questions and these gotcha questions on everybody. What, what, what we want from, from the, the daily, well, the, the post, I don't know anybody reads the daily news anymore, but what we want is information. You're getting information from you, Matt Brownstein, who I, I, I think you know. Um, he's after Ernest Dub, he's got stuff for us every day. Real information that they're getting from guys that trust in them, and the media's played this game. Why would the, why would the team trust them? But why would they do that? So you don't get good stuff coming out right now. It's all the same, over and over, reheated stuff. Absolutely. The interesting thing is, and uh, you know, it's almost like you would, and I said this, that you would want Lindor to talk to A-Rod, and here's why. Mm. You listen to A-Rod throughout the broadcast, and you could hear him connecting with Lindor's struggles. He talked yeah. about Lindor getting a little bit too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about when it was 8-4, maybe it was a bigger at-bat for Lindor when he grounded out second. Would have made tonight a little bit easier, mm-hmm. a little less drama if he had gotten a hit, drove in a ninth or tenth run there. But... At the, you know, this is about the most predictable slump I probably have ever seen because I said this back in March. Mm-hmm. Whether he signed or he didn't sign, there was going to be pressure on him. And that onus yeah. and that pressure now is coming to, you know, we're in 21, 22 <clears throat> games. It's still a small sample size. What do you, as a fan, what do you see? I mean, we really he's, haven't he's had me. a chance to get to learn Lindor. No, you're dating while you've been lot. married for long term. That's where it goes there. You know what about Lindor? I think you can say that Lindor. All teams, as, as you come, remember our team right now has not learned to win. You know, you're, you're at that spot. you got a good team. we got good players. You still have to learn to win. And a lot of that, I think, goes on, um, gets put on Rojas, gets put on the coach, gets put in a lot of different places. But you have to do it. You have to learn. You had a good 2019. 2020 should have been your jump off year, right? Like the Rangers coming in this year and falling back again. So 2020, you know, you say what about it, what you want. We don't have any experience with that. This is now, for me, that bridge year, right? This is that year where you've got to take off. I, I think we, what we say is much better than what people are making it out today. And I think with the players and, and maybe with this Donnie thing, and, and they're, they're trying to shake this pressure up. Lindor, he's lost. I mean, I, there, there's nothing else to say about Lindor. He's lost. You know, you, you see McNeil's finally finding himself a little bit here, Conforto tonight. Alonzo hasn't been great, but he's come up big in, in big spots, right? So um, you, you, what is the baseball adage? It's very simple. With players like Lindor, let them play. The numbers are going to be there when, when we get to September. They will. You got to trust them that. It, it, it could get, but I, I do think it, it will be interesting because you go back to Beltron. You go back mm-hmm. to Piazza. Mm-hmm. Uh, even to a certain degree, Santana, though he was pretty good his first year, especially down the stretch. But he had some rough starts early. Yep. The fans have had these baptisms. You know, Bobby Bonilla, you <laughs> want to throw that one out. <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, you, know, really but, you know, Bobby Bonilla, yeah, if yeah. you look at the numbers, and I said he didn't have as bad of an offensive Mets career. Uh, it's no. all the other stuff around him that did that. But he had a horrible first year. He had a horrible first year. You you know, that started with the papers, too. That started with the papers, too. His first year wasn't great. But did the fans and the the cotton in the ears and that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff, right? 
So you yeah. can't do that when you're fish. You have to shut your mouth and play. That is the best thing you can do. Trevor Maddox, So you you feel indoor. You feel indoor will be now. Beltron shut his mouth and played. You know, maybe that was a little different time because there was the Yankees across town. There was some of mm-hmm. that. He wanted to play for the Yankees. Piazza got food. I, I always question if that was crazy. maybe Yankees crazy. fans coming over, watching Mets games and stuff like that. Uh, certainly Mets fans. You feel Lindor will be more immune to it or the fan wrath if, you know, I, obviously I the team wins, but because of I, who I, he is and how he plays? I do, I do. You know, Lindor is a very, is a very up personality. You're, you're not going to, I hate to say this, what Bobby Bonilla said. You're not going to wipe the smile off of Lindor's face. You're really not. You know, one thing about about Lindor that, you, that I think we should note here, his defense has been tremendous. I mean, absolutely tremendous. You know, when they go through this, you see Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez hitting, I think, is a product of, of his catching, to be perfectly honest with you. Lindor, for me, has not just been flashy. He's been incredibly fundamentally sound. The infield looks better. How McNeil, how's McNeil looked? I think really, really good. I think that's a product of, of playing with Lindor. Um, I also think they're getting a lot of help over at first base they weren't getting last year. Alonzo's a new player over there. So, look, you know, you're going to go through these things where 19, 20 games in, Mike, I, I can't take any of this series. I don't take the win tonight, seriously, until we start to build up, until we get to the 30 games and see who we are, right? And see where, where do we need to go here. Some injuries are now popping up. This is a time that we figure it out. You don't want to lose the leader of the division. That hasn't happened. We're right there in the mix, right? We haven't yet. But we pitched. You'd rather have that than to be not be able to pitch and, and be able to hit because their hitting will come. Pitching not necessarily. Obviously, uh, Richard Housig, a uh, big fan of the show, Medellin Mets fan, uh, talking the talk, the getting to know phase. I always say there's three phases to the season. There's the getting to know phase yep. about Memorial Day. Then you, once you know the, then the next, you know, let's say two months leading into the trade deadline is, well, how do you, well, now they, let's say the team is a winning team. What do they need to do to win? Sometimes that's internal improvements, Correct. you know, bringing guys back from injury like Syndergaard, like Carrasco. Sometimes it's going out and making a trade. Then you get at that phase. And then after the trade deadline, with the exception of, a, of maybe a move here or there that's very rare, mm-hmm. you just got to go and get it done at that point. And I, I think the first real, unless you go 10 over or 10 under 500, Somewhere in that vicinity in the first 60 games. If mm-hmm. you don't do that, the first time you really look under the hood or really take inventory of who you are, Memorial Day. We'll do that Absolutely. Memorial Day weekend. We'll take a look at it. And that's Absolutely. when you see. And, you know, uh, uh, th- th- here's where I would say the positives are. The offense, still even tonight, they should have scored probably 12 to 13 runs. 12 I hate to say it. I hate to be negative and say yep. they, they, they scored eight yep. runs. This should have been a wipeout. Yep, you're right. Diaz you're right. should never been in the game. And Citizens Bank Park <laughs> is the kind of place for runs. That's just it's it's that ball. You saw the ESPN stats. Only five of thirty stadiums yeah. did that ball go out. Five. And, of 30 I, and I'll tell you, I was I was for Diaz tonight. I'm going to be right up front with you. Yep, me too. I, I think you, you want to finish this game tonight, right? He has been tremendous. You could say he, everything's tailing away tonight. Everything's moving too much tonight. That was the problem that he had. He just didn't have a lot of control. He had a pitch to him. He, he said he had some. He, it seems like he had some back tightness. That was the report after okay. the game. I think the real thing with Diaz that Rojas has to look out for is trends. When he's missing a badly. Okay. Yep. Usually that's a bad sign. 
Castro not that he tonight. Can, now here's the other Castro thing. Castro is a perfect example. I couldn't believe he let Castro face the left-hander tonight. For me, that was Ross' first big mistake of the year. Um, you know, you, you, however you want to see the ninth inning is up to you. But I thought Castro was the one. Uh, Castro to to D for the three-run home. I've got to have the lefty there, especially Castro's wild. He's he's done a lot of pitches. Let's get with those hard-throwing guys. They were either one, two, three. Or you got to start thinking, get guys up. Once, and ready. once Diaz, so I'll go to Diaz. Once yeah. Diaz hit 22 to 25 pitches, you had a problem. Yep. I agree. And I said, if, if Hoskins gets on, I would not have let him pitch to Harper. That was the, but I also don't think they had anybody warming. Now, I don't know. ESPN didn't go to it. Was anybody warming up in the pen? Clearly, Familia came in. Making me crazy. I can't ever see anybody warming up the pen anymore. (laughs) There's no context to the game, right? Right. I don't know. I don't know. uh, Well, uh, here's the other thing you don't know. They might have said, hey, how's your back feeling? A little tight. Hey, let's take him out so you get as much time as you can for Familia to warm up. You can think about that, too. I'm going to say something. I actually love pulling him there. I'm not letting him face the next hitter after that happens. No, not at all. You, You get a break. You're back in the game. And you know what? Familia has been tremendous. Familia's really been good. He found the plate again, right? I had to, once that ball came back in, that replay got overruled. I knew that game was that game was over. Familia was coming in. And he had to strike out Bryce Harper twice. 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 The strike yeah. out <laughs> Only twice. Bryce Harper gets unbelievable. Hey, still got a you know when you get a what is a thousand ninety eight OPS? You know that's what happens. So yeah, they, they give you some breaks. Hey, you so, know, but just to get back to this, you know, what I'm saying, let me get into this a little bit tonight. Coming the trade deadline and, and all these things, people are talking about Rojas. People are talking about, about Chili Dip. My God, Chili Dip. We're talking about fire the hitting coach. George Steinbrenner lives. Guys, I, I would say this. You're looking at moving players on this team before you are looking at moving this manager. This group has been together now for a while. There's a group. It's a group like Chicago had a group. It's a group like the Yankee group back in the day. These guys got to learn to win. And... You know, we can go through this and or, you, you know, however you want to do this. Your manager knows what he's doing. He's a very good in-game manager. And we caught, brought a couple of things up here tonight, but how many things have he done well? And look at how this team loves him. Guys, when there is a problem in the clubhouse, you know. You always know. We've seen it with Syndergaard. We've seen it with other players here. There's This clubhouse is tight. This Donnie thing is a great a great indication of how this team is, is together. I love it. I love it. You love it. So you're a big Rojas fan because Huge. The, the one thing that typically in this town, and I played, and I talked about this on the short that I did on Friday. Is yeah, that I heard. Yep. We, we look at the, and remember back when Bill James talked about why he liked the Jared Porter hire. He liked the Jared Porter hire because Jared Porter was good at the ground level stuff that you don't see in the papers. Now forget about what right. Jared Porter turned out to be and, and what happened. But right. a lot of the stuff the Mets haven't been good at is the stuff behind the scenes that you don't see. Correct. Things that you're kind of trying to look behind Weirdness. the Weirdness. obvious Rojas. Not telling the truth. Right. Giving you things, straw men and you know, all this kind right. of thing. So, so why do we fire a manager? We fire a manager because we need a scapegoat. We fire a uh, any coach because we need a scapegoat. Because yep. we're angry. Yep. Because right. um, you know, the the, t- the club doesn't hit. They don't show any energy, that's right? They don't show ball. any energy. That's it. So, and, it's I, all right and, there. And, and, and that's part of in this town. That's where my fear for Rojas is. My fear for Rojas is, is that the owner is new. The owner yep. clearly wants to win. He wants to make a name for himself. And if we're midseason and they're in spitting distance, but they're underperforming, let's mm-hmm. say 500, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do, do they go out and go get a veteran manager like a Buck Showalter or somebody to ignite a fire? I don't think that's Sandy Alderson's M.O., but that's, to me, the one thing I worry about with Rojas is that if they don't play well and they meander, uh, the, the media is going to go after him. They're going to want yep. a scapegoat. There they are. They're looking. You see, they've been looking for him already, but there's nothing to pin to him. That, that's, so you see the story, but there's nothing to pin to him. You know, and what I want to say something about Rojas. The, can we agree first that the most, if you want to be a winning team, have a 10-year cycle of winning, have a Yankee cycle, you need a man, a long-term manager who can handle New York and who can be here. So here's Luis Rojas, baseball royalty, royalty. Luis Rojas' father won manager of the year. Luis Rojas has won manager of the year two or three times in the minor league, the Dominican summer league, 17 years in the organization. He's the only guy they kept. Do you think they just kept him so they could dump him this year? No. This is their connection to the player. You have seen Steve Cohen make a serious effort towards his players to, to, to bring them to, up to the place, to his, to his place for dinner, to be involved with the team, to be speaking with them. I actually think people are reading um, Steve Cohen wrong here. I, I think Steve Cohen's got a guy. There's a company man who's done every job in your organization. Last year, you lose Beltron. Well, they said, well, it's okay. Rojas organized spring training, so give him the job. They'll take care of it. You should be judged on win, wins and losses. He's got to win. But you're telling me you've got a better guy out there for this group? I, I'm going to argue with you all day about this. Energy and confidence are not manufactured. They're a function of your offense or, or sometimes of your defense. But you can't – it's not football, right? This is baseball, 162 times. You can't rah, rah, rah them in, in, in the, before the game and hope they're going to hit in the eighth inning. That's not how this works. How this works is putting them in the right spot. He's done that. How this works is keeping them confident. He's done that. You see how his his strategies to give him a rest, to give two days, especially a player like Dom. You know, Dom's got, I think, his biggest issue is the energy issue, right? They they worry about his his load, and I think he's the Royce has done a fantastic job with him. He, um, although I am a little worried about Dom, um, and look at your bullpen. Look at your bullpen. This bullpen has been a disaster. Right now, it is organized. It is ordered. Guys know their roles. Everyone is comfortable. Everyone is loose. And no Lugo. And no Lugo. And no Lugo. And where do you get Carrasco? And where do you get Carrasco back? Um, I tell you, I love Noah. Uh, off this thing, I think it's going to be a big, big, I think it'll be very tough for, for, for Syndergaard. Maybe he ramps it up a little later. And you, you have him for later in the season. You know, right. Mike, something no one, I've heard no one talk about. We are 30 starts, uh, starts short right now. Even if you give DeGrom 35 starts, um, Strowman 30, and Walker 25, and Peterson 25, you are 30 or 40 shorts, um, starts short right now that need coverage. So that's going to come up. Well, Carrasco's going to fix – well, Carrasco's going to take – hopefully the lion's share of that. Him, right? He'll hoping. be back. The, the word is the second week of May. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know tomorrow will be interesting because they have the, uh, potentially a bullpen game, maybe Lucchese. Some If Lucchese doesn't start, they're seeing something down on the alternate site they don't like. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know what Sean Reed Foley turns out to be. I don't know these kids. But I and, and I understand that he needed a change of scenery, but every time Steven Matz and, and he goes out, he's yeah. pitched well in Toronto. And look, once Syndergaard and Carrasco come back and pitch pretty much who we think they are, we yeah. won't we won't care about Steven Matz. We won't. 
But now no, it's and a, you may give Steven Max back anyway next year, right? He's a free agent next could. year again. You Let could him go beat the Yankees and right, and then we'll, we'll bring him back when he's fixed. That, you that know, one other thing uh, as we as we bring this to a wrap here is uh, you saw on some of the positives the the depth that the Mets have coming yep. into play Even because you had no we JD Davis, yep. you had no Nimmo, VR made a contribution, Kevin Pillar who hasn't hit at all. And I was even saying, well, you know, at some point, if you want to do a shakeup, you know, come mid-May, a guy like Pilar's not hit, hit 098, you release right. him. You know, those are the kind of moves you make to kind of feed. I, and I love him. those moves. I love those moves. But a guy like Kevin Pilar, we're jumping on this guy. If you, if you want to talk about a gamer, Kevin Pilar, Kevin Pilar's a gamer. Okay, that's why he's in the lineup. You know, you saw tonight. Um, as much as I love Almora, I love how Almora plays. I got to be honest, he's such a smooth outfielder. He's not a big stick. And so he's really the fifth outfielder right now. But you will see Rojas find places for him. You know, a lot of managers, an older strategy, Billy Martin did this. Um, uh, uh, Earl Weaver was always a, the guy that never played. Then come August, all of a sudden he's getting games. Now he's getting, he's using him more. You almost you kind of hold him back like a, you know, like a, like a sixth man or whatever. And, and, and use him where, where you're going to get that. You, Michael, you know what, what I say to, to everybody, this baseball season is a soap opera, right? Yeah. You, so you come out and right. they're going to get married. The stars get married. And then there's the, the person, the evil person jumps in when there's a losing streak and, and yeah. the kids are sick and, and this one is, is right. bad and the hospital's closed. You gotta take it like that. Kind of enjoy it in stretches, in series, right? But if you lose your mind every night, how is it fun? You gotta enjoy it. No, it's you gotta, you gotta enjoy team grow. It. Yeah. You gotta enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So so you had a chance to appear on this uh humble I love podcast. it. It's so much fun. See, see, you're one of the few insiders. You got to see where the magic happens it, here. Right? The, the Met memorabilia the behind me, the whole nine yards. You get to see And it everything. couldn't be easier. It just couldn't Stop. be easier to do. We can do this every go. day if you want. We do it there every day. Well, Rich, <laughs> I would so, love it. Met, so if you guys are on Twitter, you want to have a good conversation, Medigene uh, Mets fan at Housing Richard, H A U S I G Rich, right? Housing Rich. Yep. Very on Twitter. Good. And uh, he's down there in Columbia, and I'm sure if Mets fans want to go uh, get together down in Columbia and, and Medellin, you could get together a big Mets party going on down there. Well, you know we're not a baseball city, right? This is soccer down here. But yep. because of what happened in Venezuela, there's a lot, a million Venezuelans here, and they are the greatest baseball. It's like the old days in New York. You stand on the street corner, and you're arguing players, and you're having like – We got to get a, a talking Mets revolution down in Colombia. We got to do, do some Spanish, some Spanish episodes. And that. Mike, <laughs> can I just tell you, their love for the game, it is, it is, it's amazing. People are in – such a terrible position, but they all know the scores. They all know who, you know, how, how Mickey's playing up in Detroit and uh, what, you know, what Altuve is doing in here. They know, and, and I love them. And uh, they really, they make it great for me because it's hard. There's no baseball down here, you know? Well, so, Rich, this I was really, awesome catching up. It was good. Getting to see you, getting to see the fan. Hopefully, you know, another one of these fan segments, you know, we had Mark Gold, we have you. We'll have to get more luminaries in here to talk some Mets. Not everybody's right. going to come on, though, immediately after the kind of game that we had. So you got kind of a special segment here. I did. Could not have asked for a better, a better ending on that one. Right. So. And by the way, which is funny, because this is really the first game I, I had a couple things bad to say about, about, about uh, Rojas. So I told my guys a couple days ago, I said, you think I'm going to go on Mike? So you guys can come up, hammer me, do anything you want. I'll, I'll give you my defense, and, and we'll do our best. Shades of... 
Shades Six, up, they won the Six. damn thing. Shades yeah. up, they won the damn thing. Bob Murphy, 1990. Got to think a little bit like that. You, that's in, you know, that's interesting. Uh, about 73 came to mind right away for me. It was 73, which, uh, which I thought was 69, which six nine is a black cat, right? Um, so, but that was one too. And Mike, those things, those are the things that happen. That's the weirdness that happens when you're going to have a big season. Now, you know, tomorrow we may go out and lose 10 in a row. You don't know. There you go. But, but usually when those things happen, it's a sign of good things to come. Let's go, Mets. Rich. You've been a gentleman and a scholar, my friend. Let's do this again. My 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 pleasure. I would love to. Thank you so much. Take care, Rich. Be well. Good night. Ciao. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, really enjoyed some dialogue, some conversation with our friend uh, Richard Hosig, Medellin Mets fan. And I know there's tons of you that I'd love to talk to, get on, do something similar to what we just did with Rich. And uh, we will. I mean, we have to spot it. We have to make it where it makes sense. It's not one of those situations right now, at least with the technology that, and I don't really, I don't want to do the live shows anymore. I have the capabilities with the service I use to do a live show, throw the calls out there. But, but, but podcasting and radio has not become, it's no longer appointment based where you sit in front of the radio waiting for Mike and the Mad Dog or, or Joe Benigno after. You know, sometimes you can. Last night's probably one of those rare times where you want to have appointment radio or appointment TV to hear the reaction. But it's not like that. So you have to use other means, which is email and uh, tweets, and then obviously scheduling, saying, hey, would you like to come on after the game and chat? And that's what I did with Richard, who put his hat into the ring. And uh, really, uh, I enjoy I enjoy everybody's commentary. And if you want to send me a note, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, and we could talk offline about anything. You know, I've had some beautiful emails sent to me, tweets, things like that. For every negative one that everybody sees, there's probably 10 positive ones that you don't that make me continue to enjoy doing this and continue to want to interact with you and continue to bring you what I think is unique content throughout your week as we uh, as we go forward into the baseball season as I said big character win uh, big character win building big character building wins for the Mets that that, that one's flip-flopped the last two nights we continue and you heard Richard Richard listen to the podcast we're in the getting to know phase we really can't do a full assessment until Memorial Day. If we're really assessing this team before Memorial Day, there's a hell of a lot of problems. There's a mess going on here. Or they've gone on this massive historic streak. So I have a feeling we have another month of really taking a step back. We got a first glance at the Mets in a big spot. Big wins against the division rival. The offense is coming along. Is Donnie Joe Boo? Is Donnie Don Tequila Liquor? Is Donnie Stevenson a real person? That'll be the big mystery, and the Mets are having some fun with it. And if they hit, they could they could they could play the Snuffleupagus game with Donnie all they want. They could play it all their all the way to the end of the year into the postseason. So, anyway, uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, you can check me out all the time at Mike Silva Media on Twitter and at the Talking Mets Podcast Of course, 
Send me an email, MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your uh, week. We'll be back with another show next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.